the University of California Riverside presents Blue, Gold, and Black, the podcast that's dedicated to amplifying Black voices at UCR. I'm Dominique Bill from UCR's Community Engagement and Outreach Unit. In each episode, we'll be talking to UCR students, campus leaders, and community partners to explore the intersection of being Black and being a Highlander at UCR. And I can't wait for you to meet today's guest. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to Blue, Gold, and Black, a podcast dedicated to amplifying black voices here at UCR. I am your host, Dominique Beal, and today we have a special guest with us, Wilbert Pines, who works out of the Students' Disability Resource Center as an accessible tech specialist. We're going to be talking to Will today just to learn a little bit about his background and some of his life experiences that influence the work that he does today. We're also going to get some more information about exactly what the Student Disability Resource Center is and who they cater to and help support on campus. Um, Will, how are you doing today, sir? Hi, Dom. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thank you for asking, you know, trying to maintain positive spirits and everything. Thank you so much uh, for joining us on uh, Blue, Gold and Black. We're super happy to amplify your voice today. Um, So let's go ahead and just kind of dive right in. So really quickly, um, if you can, just give us a quick snapshot um, of exactly what it is that you do um, here at UCR. What exactly is an accessibility um, tech specialist responsible for? Well, sure, no doubt. Um, well, one of the things I do is to, as far as a campus campus um, resource, is to make sure that we're in compliance uh, with federal and state guidelines for access to information. That can in, mm-hmm. include anything from a simple syllabus handout to a student's textbook um, to a student that's, you know, maybe, you know, somebody, we uh, there's a lot of students out there on skateboards and bikes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they may not know this, but our office, we can serve them on a temporary basis. So maybe they need transportation pickup, things like that. Um, and so uh, it's more of a, a holistic view of supporting students that have mm-hmm. disabilities, wherever, whether it be temporary, permanent, um, and from, a, say, a faculty point of view, mm-hmm. um, helping, helping faculty to make sure that their materials are accessible. Wow. Okay. Very good. Thank you for sharing that with us. Mm-hmm. So before we kind of dive deeper into a little bit of more what of what that entails, um, let's kind of put the lens and focus on you a little bit in your life. Can you mm-hmm. tell us um, where you grew up? Mm-hmm. I grew up in Ponchatoula, Louisiana. Uh, it's a small town about 40 miles north of New Orleans, just, just, about, just across Lake Pontchartrain, if you're familiar with that area. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, it's Great place. It's known as the strawberry capital of the world. Okay, very cool. So (laughs) kind of walk us through a little bit of some of your kind of childhood experiences growing up Mm -hmm. there and some of the things, I guess, that you kind of witnessed as a child that were pretty instrumental, I guess, in terms of the man you are today. Okay. Um, I always think back to uh, when I get similar questions like this, I, I think back to a time I had to be about, I don't know, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, mm-hmm. I don't know, and I was in elementary school, third or fourth grade, and um, my cousin and I, we wanted to be in the Cub Scouts, mm. and uh, we had a, we went to a little information meeting um, one evening, my aunt took us, because my mom was working, out working, um, and uh, we got there, and um, basically each person was assigned to a, what they call a den leader, mm-hmm. um, and we were picked um, the person who was supposed to be our den leader, um, apparently she quit on the spot. 
Wow. Um, we kind of had an idea of what was, as kids, even at that age, we kind of had an idea of what was going on, but mm. wasn't really sure. But we, again, we're only, you know, seven, I guess third grade, maybe 10 years, maybe eight years old, nine years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our aunt took us out and we, we left. Um, our aunt took us out and uh, we got a call the next day from another den mother who um, eventually accepted us to enter their den mm. um, as Cub Scouts. And I think that was one of the first times that I can remember. Mm. I'm, I'm 49 years old now, but um that's one of the first times that I can remember um, a direct in your face, you know, just because of the person that's because of who you look like. Mm. This person had never seen us before um, and decided to quit on the spot because of us. You know, and so, wow. And mm-hmm. I, I and it, it's crazy kind of that you say that because that kind of just ties into, you know, this aspect of socialization that you know black Mm -hmm. people in particular black children go through Mm -hmm. um and how oftentimes at a very young age right elementary school Mm -hmm. somewhere between second and sixth grade you know black children experience some type of moment whether they fully understand it or not is one thing but Mm -hmm. they experience some type of moment that puts into context like there is some significance to being black in terms of how right. other people react and, and treat me. Talk to us a, a little bit about your town. Was it a predominantly black town? Was it a uh, mm-hmm. kind of multicultural? Give us a little bit more context about your town that you grew up in. Um, the actual town, like I said, we had about 25. At the time I was staying there, we had there were about 2,500, no more than 3,000 people there. Um, wow. my, the, the street that I lived on, um, it was actually in my little, um, wouldn't say a block, half a block. My grandmother purchased land so that all of her um, children could be in the same area and have homes in the same area. Wow. Um, and there was three of us, three of the, the seven children there. Uh, but we had, I had friends of um, Italian, Native American, white, black, whatever. Um, mm. And even and even in the school, it was the same way. Even though it was a small town, um, that's how it was. So it was kind of... At that moment, it was really surprising to get that kind of reaction um, mm. from someone who didn't know. I mean, we it wasn't like we we were great students. You know, we mm-hmm. had a, I had a three, I had a four point my whole elementary career career mm. of academic um, time. Um, we weren't troublemakers. I mean, sure, there's people that got in trouble for different things, but the way we were raised, it was if I was at my cousin's house or if I was in my friend's house. If I was doing something I wasn't supposed to be doing, mm. then that parent had the authority from the mom or the other parents to right. you know keep us keep us straight. So the community um, was very strong, very the close. Was, to, to me, the community community was strong. Right. Um, I, I think in, in thinking about that after having um, just now just thinking about this, even in school, um, I know that there were times where just the color of my skin mm. um, made people take a step back. Um, in 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 a way that whether way I was performing academically or just socially, mm. well, wow, I didn't expect this from you, um, or from, on the other side, well, I'm not even going to pay attention to you just because of who you are. Mm. I don't know, I don't really know you, but just because of who you are. Um, so I, I just I think it's I think it was a mix. You know, you had it from, and I think it was on the extremes. Mm-hmm. It was either you're accepted or not. Mm. You know, um, so I, I think that's how. I don't know. Um, like I say, my friends, the way we grew up, with the way we were, the way we grew up was, we you treat people how you want to be treated, right? And so, uh, well, you know, it, it, it's that's an interesting kind of 
dynamic and I kind of want to get into that a little bit but I I also want to kind of just go back to where you mentioned that your grandmother had um purchased land can you kind of Mm -hmm. um talk about that a little bit um as at least as much as you know in terms of your family history Mm -hmm. because just in the broad sense you know when we look at you know black history in the you know, the struggle for liberation Mm -hmm. land is obviously a very key component, (laughs) especially down South. Um, Mm -hmm. Can you talk to that a little bit? Because that's really interesting. Um, And actually I've been trying to wreck my, I I kind of started a little project a couple of years ago, Mm -hmm. um, just getting some genealogy stuff together. And um, I've been finding some records on things and there's, there's whole gaps of, you know, 30, 40 years that I just can't find information on. Mm -hmm. Um, And trying to go back to this, I know that, um, like I say, my, my grandmother has um, set six kids, seven kids. Mm-hmm. Um, my aunt, one of my aunts, my mother, and another aunt were the only three that was actually on the land. Actually, mm-hmm. um, had homes on the land. Um, so most of the time, most of it, it was just open fields or um, wooded areas. And so we we grew vegetables, grew fruit, grew corn. My uncle was you know, a jack of all trades, and I learned a lot from him. Wow. I'm actually doing that today. I've got a garden in the backyard. I've got some Beautiful. pumpkins and corn growing back in the backyard right now. Nice. Um, but uh, I, I, I say I'd like to know more about it. Um, and I know there's, there's even, I know there's um, land within the extended family um, in other areas of the state, uh, of, of the, the, the county, let's say it's a parish. We have parishes as opposed to counties. Um, that there's a lot of wooded area that has been used for logging um, illegally mm. up until this day. And so I know there, there's family members that are still fighting over that in, in, in the court. So, wow. um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just one of those things that it's, uh, and there's, you know, time is so precious and valuable yeah. that it's, you know, I, 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 I've got sheets of things where I've asked parents or other older um, generations, you know, just tell me some, just tell me something about you, and I'll just write down as much as I can. Mm-hmm. It's just from making the time to get that information so that I can find uh, make a linear um, timeline yeah. to find out, you know, where where are we now, where were we, and mm-hmm. you know, how do we get to where we are now? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's super fascinating. So mm-hmm. I definitely commend you on your diligence because mm-hmm. that's not easy word yeah, uh it's <laughs> it's very hard um yeah. especially for our people but yeah. kind of taking the attention off of that and kind of moving it back towards your experience coming up like through k your, the k through 12 system mm-hmm. what inspired you to pursue higher education was it a particular influence in your life a role model a uh-huh. teacher a parent uh mm-hmm. or anyone or was it something that you just always knew you wanted mm-hmm. to do I think early on, I always remember my mom reading. She would, every, every time I saw she always had a book in her hand, mm. um, whether it was some, you know, a, a novel. Um, we used to fight over the, the TV guide. You know, all of some of you guys are probably too young to remember this, but we used to get a TV guide, an actual hand, uh, a paper printed TV guide. Right. Find out what your shows are, and there was always a crossword puzzle in the back of the book. Okay, um, and uh, we'd always fight over whoever got the TV guide first got to do the puzzle. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, I think that, you know, part of it is, is just my own who I am, just wanting mm. to learn. Um, I know my mom would tell me stories about how I was as a, I used to wear um, leg braces on my, my feet because I had a, um, 
they call it, I forgot what the, the term they use, but the, I had to wear braces on my feet. And apparently at mm -hmm. one point I would had found a way to unloosen the screws. I used to take all part my bikes, all my toys and try to put them back together. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was always that, that knowledge to learn, to learn something, how do things work? Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I enjoyed school. I loved school. Um, so I always tried to be in, I'm the type that I try to do whatever I'm doing, I'm going to do my best at it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's part of it. Otherwise, certainly with my mom, she has stressed to us how important the education was. And so, um, mm -hmm. that's, 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 that's always been a driving force. My, my mom and her, her ethic, her work ethic, her, her social ethic, um, mm -hmm. and just her as a parent and a mom and a friend, um, mm -hmm. and a confidant, you know, um, so yeah, I would say from her. Okay, beautiful. And so kind of talk to us about, you know, your experience of getting into higher education. So did, what schools did you want to go to? Were you mm -hmm. part of like any particular programs or what, where mm -hmm. exactly did your path started to start to lead you once you graduated high school? Um, like I said, I, um, my, so I said, I lived in Louisiana until 1988. Um, my father was a, my stepfather was a machinist. And um, he had been in an accident early in his life, and basically he was told by his doctor he had to change his job or he was going to lose his legs. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I came to California. My aunt um, owned her own janitorial service, um, and she also mm -hmm. was an apartment complex manager. And so we came out to help um, and expand on that. Um, and what, what area business. of California exactly? Um, Oakland, California. Oakland, okay. Oakland, so, California. So, yeah. so really quick, <laughs> talk to me about if any, the, the culture shock from going to a small oh. town, 3,000 folks in, yeah. you know, Louisiana to yeah. Oakland, California. Yeah. Kind of talk to us um, about that experience. Um, it was it was it was incredible. I like I said, the town I grew up in, we had 2,500, 3,000 people there at the time. And when I get to California, my so we got here in August, started school late, I think after Labor Day or something like that. But um, the high school I went to had more people in the high school <laughs> than I had in my whole town. Right, <laughs> exactly. Um, I'll never forget, my, um, my, I took a free, called a, was it called, I think it was called free economics class. Mr. Bockert, I'll never forget him. Um, we had 35 students in the class, and there were 28 different countries represented in that one class. Oh, wow. Um, incredible learning experience. We had this thing we called the hot seat. And um, every day you go, one person, he picked the first person on the first day um, and you go in the front of the, the seat and anyone could ask you any questions they wanted. And so we, you had to be read up on your current events and right. things like that. And then um, whoever, the next person to answer the last question got to pick the next person to go up. Um, me being from Louisiana, everyone thought I had a funny accent. <laughs> so I kept, I kept getting picked because they just wanted to hear me talk. Right, <laughs> you know, right. I kept getting picked. <laughs> Um, and so uh, that that was a great experience. Um, my just be on to back up a little bit on that. Mm -hmm. um, in my junior, my sophomore year, my counselor, my world history instructor was also my counselor. Okay. Um, again, small town, you know, <laughs> they're doing double duties. Right. Uh, but she went around the classroom and asked everyone, "What do you want to do when you graduate? You know, what's what's after high school?" And so one of the things I said, "Well, I was I always wanted to serve in the military." Mm. Um, but I also wanted to go to college. Um, and I said, I didn't know if college was going to be an option for me just because of cost or, or whatever. Mm. Um, and But I just wasn't sure which, which path I should go. Should I do one first or the other? And um, she had me come speak with her and she's, you know, um, enlightened me about the service academies. Um, basically, you know, you're going to college while you're preparing to be an officer in the military. 
Um, and um, she asked me if I, if I was if I thought about it. I said I didn't know anything about it, but she gave me the packet. I applied. Long story short, I got accepted. Mm. Um, and this was just before I moved to California. Wow. Um, one thing to be able to to go to the service academy is you have to be have a congressional nomination from your state. Oh, okay. Um, and so um, I had gotten I secured that nomination as part of the package. This is one of the things you have to get done. Um, secured that nomination, but then I was moving to California, so I, w- I didn't know if that was going to jeopardize my chances. Um, and so um, we were. I was still able to get that nomination. Eventually, I was still able to go to the, the service academy at West Point, United States Military Academy at West Point. Mm. And um, I didn't graduate. Um, other issues went on and happened there. Um, but um, I did come back and went to the serving in the military in the United States Regular Army oh, wow. um, as an aviation specialist. Okay, wow. So a lot, <laughs> a, <laughs> yeah, lot yeah, a lot happened a lot. In, yeah. in terms of <laughs> yeah, that transition from yeah. Louisiana yeah. to Oakland. Yeah. So, so from... Summer of '88, yeah. you know, I was in Punchatoula, Louisiana, and then summer of '89, I was in New. I was from California to New York, mm. you know. And so it's yeah. it's two thousand people, you know, several million people. Then, right. you know, back <laughs> into the military, Kelly. Right, right. So <laughs> that's very interesting. So talk talk to us about then kind of the the higher educational experience you got okay. going through the the service academies and mm-hmm. you know. Being an aviation specialist and all of that, I'm sure there's a lot we can unpack there. Yeah, um, of course. I, I served, so that was '89. I went, got up, um, resigned my commission from the military academy, um, and then I went right back into the regular army. Went back to basic training again. Um, after I finished basic training, we went to our um, our um, the schooling for our job, our specialty that we'd be trained in. Um, mm. I was in aviation. Normally, that program takes about a year, but due to the first Iraqi war. Uh, we did it in about six months, uh, and I was immediately sent to South Korea um, wow. as a as my duty station. And um, from there, be as a working on the types of aircraft, I worked on the Apache helicopter as an aviation electronics and weapons systems system specialist. Um, we had more training on the systems than the pilots because they were brand new systems. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was to every. Three or four months, I was hopping from place to place, to duty station to duty station, going around training these pilots just before the the Gulf War. And I did that for about two and a half years mm. uh, between several different countries. Um, and so, um, oh goodness! Um, after that, so in a way, that's kind of like yeah. a precursor to your your work as an accessibility right. tech specialist, sure. right? Because Come on, somewhat, yeah. So once I once I got out of the military, um, I um, went back, came back to Northern California, mm-hmm. um, started, went back to the community college there in the, in, the, um, in the San Francisco Bay Area, Diablo Valley College in Pleasant Hill. Um, and I took, I was taking an English class, another story about that, and maybe it's another, another <laughs> um, uh, podcast about yes, all sir. that happening. Right. Um, but um, I was, rec- the instructor wanted, she said, I, I would want to recommend you or, uh, to be an English skills tutor. And so I was working in the English skills tutoring lab, um, basic skills. I also worked as an um, aide in the classroom for the English instructors. Mm. And um, one of my students, one of my students that I was tutoring, she had a, uh, a visual impairment. And in our lab, we couldn't. I couldn't help her because we didn't have the technology to help her. So I just, mm. I went to the high tech lab and said, "Hey, I need you. Good. I need you to teach me whatever it is I need to know so that I can help my student." Mm. Um, and that worked out really well. 
um, the director there at the, the um, in the lab asked, he said, well, since this worked out so well for this student, can you help all of our students with disabilities? I said, sure, let me know. I need to know what I need to know. Mm. Um, and so what I did was I worked with the students who were already seasoned on the assistive technology that was available at the time. Again, this was in 98, 96 through 96, 97. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, it worked out really well. And I actually transitioned from English I should say I had five jobs at the college. Wow. <laughs> I worked as an English skills tutor. Yeah. I worked in high tech center lab as an assistant. I was a, um, uh, an aide in the classroom mm-hmm. for ESL classes. Um, I was kind of the, the computer tech mm-hmm. in the lab, in both labs as well, also mm-hmm. two different timesheets. Um, and so it's it, once I started working with the students with disabilities, using my com- my background in the computer science that I knew, mm-hmm. um, and using what they were telling me what the what the assistive technology could do and what they needed, mm-hmm. using putting all those together to figure out how can I help this student access mm-hmm. you know, whatever they need. At that time, if it was a textbook, we didn't have the high speed scanners that we have right now. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was taken page by page, page at a time, converting it to a wave file format. Um, and so they can have an audio version of something right. or sending it to a Braille printer that was as large as, you know, six foot table. Right. <laughs> it was so loud that it was encased in another case. Right. But it was still loud. But um, and from that, I think that because when I went back to college, I wanted to be a computer. I just wanted to be in computer science. Mm. But after having that experience, uh, being able to help someone with what I knew mm-hmm. and them helping me to 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 get that level of knowledge or of of. of of what they were, of the technology that they were using, uh, it just continued to inspire me to learn more about this field. Yeah, um, and I haven't. I've been doing it ever since. Well, I- interestingly enough, it, it seems like your whole life you were kind of primed for yeah. this field. Like you know, mm-hmm. I'm like I guess if you want to say like one of the first people that I guess was savvy enough with tech to kind of usher in this field of tech assisting. You know persons Mm -hmm. with you know disabilities and i can imagine Mm -hmm. all of the tech that you got to work on in the military uh by the time by the time you came back to you know civilian tech you were really in prime position to kind of just accelerate a lot of what they were doing i would imagine exactly 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 um it was it's interesting that oftentimes you know uh, people just in passing it personal the personal computer was very new to everyone at that Mm -hmm. time um Mm -hmm. there wasn't certainly not as much as available that there is now Mm-hmm. Um, and as a lot of them didn't even have as much processing power as the, you know your cell your cell phone that you hold around in your hand every day. Exactly. Um, so oftentimes people will be saying, "I've got this problem," and you know, quickly I would say, "Here, this is what you need to do: one, two, three. Right. And it was done. Right. Um, even then, I wasn't. I could. I could feel the hesitation or the the non the I don't know the skepticism of you know recommendations I would make. Um, and they mm. would take them, you know, two or three times before they would come back and say, oh, did, did you say something a couple of weeks ago about, you know, such and such? You know, mm. do you remember what that was? I say, yeah, I know exactly what it was. Mm. You know, and they come back. Oh, yeah, that worked. I say, oh, OK, that's great. Right. Right. But, you know, like I say, it's, it's always been an ongoing thing about, yeah. you know, just appearance, appearance. Yeah. Well, it's it's a tax almost, you know, mm-hmm. like it's yeah. a tax a lot in a in a lot of ways, you know, in even having, you know, these interviews that I've been doing, like I've come across that same experience, mm-hmm. you know, from multiple people that I've spoken with, like either people being completely shocked that mm-hmm. 
this person of color or this black person in particular mm-hmm. is either leading or the the mm-hmm. senior person on a project or is the mm-hmm. expert on the situation or what they're suggesting right. actually holds weight mm-hmm. and is legitimate in, in its attacks, you know, and uh-huh. it kind of goes into who you are naturally as a person, but how you mm-hmm. even still have to double that, right? It's mm-hmm. just like that constant chip on your shoulder, so mm-hmm. even if you are a high achiever, how much more achievement and how much mm-hmm. more higher do you have to go even above that mm-hmm. just for someone to come three weeks later and be like, oh, weren't you mm-hmm. that one guy that, right. you know, mentioned mm-hmm. this to us? Oh, yeah, that was the right answer. Mm-hmm. I, you know, mm-hmm. that's that can be very tough to deal mm-hmm. with. Yeah. Even with, you know, oftentimes, especially even in today's certainly in today's world where um, everyone's remote. And you're sometimes you're communicating by email. You don't see a face. Yes. And then when you first see that person and, and you know i'm first seeing in person so, and they're yeah. like they kind of take you you see it it's, it's yeah it, it may be quick it may be even less than a split second but yeah. you see it and you notice it and they're like they're taken aback mm-hmm. by who this person is that's you know been behind an email address or yeah. on the phone exactly um, even the person like i said going back to that diablo valley college uh, she i don't know probably a year a year after i started working in there um and had found out that I had been in the military and, you know, was, had served and some of the things I've done, she goes, wow, her statement was that, wow, I have a new respect for you. And it wasn't, and to me, the way I took it, and mm-hmm. maybe it was wrong, but just, just my experience took it as if, not that it was something as a compliment, but like I, maybe I viewed you here, now I mm-hmm. view you here, as opposed right. to you were, wow, you're up here, now I view you even higher right like giving um, almost giving you some validation that you weren't yeah, even right. seeking in the first place you know right exactly um, yeah. and it and it is tough because you know we all have those moments you know microaggression is a super <laughs> you know popular phrase that's used for those types of moments but <laughs> it's because of a lived experience right <laughs> that <laughs> over time, over experience after experience, trains us to pick up on that coded language, even if the Mm -hmm. person who's speaking that language isn't fully cognizant of it, you know, but that lived experience is um, extremely valid. So let's let's take all of this context now that we've kind of built up and let's start talking about, you know, how you found yourself here at UCR. Mm I was working at a Crossmont College in the San Diego County. Um, did that for 17 years, kind of doing what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I say kind of, if, even though the job description somewhat mirrors what I'm doing here, um, I started the program there at um, Crossmont College. Mm. The same program that we kind of we're kind of building here as a team. Right. I'm in charge of it, but we're building it as a team sure. because you know I need I need that that. A student sees a counselor and a counselor and a student is referred to me. I need to have some background on that student to make sure that I'm making the proper recommendations in a timely manner. Um, at the other place, and I'm not taking anything away from it, it was more of a, here, I need you to do this, this, and this for this student. Mm. I said, well, if, if I'm the expert in this field, shouldn't it be me determining what may be the best option for this student based on what that student's experience already is right now right. and go forward from there as opposed right. to being, here's a transaction. If that's the case, why am I even in this position? Just mm-hmm. have someone transaction and giving the student this whatever it is, why you think it is, as opposed to letting me do my job sure. as the expert in the field, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and after, you know, 
I found I kind of found ways around it. Uh, but after, I don't know, 17 years, it gets to a point where you feel I, I just felt stagnant. I knew I could yes. do more. Right. I wanted to do more because I live I live on this principle that wherever I am, no matter where I am, at some point, somebody, someone, something has gotten me to where I am. Sure. Someone has helped me along the way. Someone mm-hmm. has. And you can tell help as in you know, it was a negative experience and where you turn it into a positive experience mm. or it was a positive experience and where you even increase that positive experience for not only for yourself, but for someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so that that's just who I am. That's who I am. I want to make sure that whatever I'm doing, because someone helped me, I want to pay it forward. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, absolutely. And so um, I, I think that's what continues to to drive me to 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 want to help others. Yeah, no, 100 percent. I think that also is kind of what inspired me to start working in education as well because mm-hmm. of the uh, the people who, you know, pushed me to graduation, <laughs> you know, in some cases dragged me to graduation. Um, they were, you know, and, and really at the base of it was just a, a very core understanding of empathy. Right. Um, mm-hmm. In right. understanding like you said, a student's mm-hmm. needs, right? Them mm-hmm. taking the assessment of their experiences with me and assessing what I need and putting me in those positions um, to right. get what I need to help me be successful. So talk to us a little bit about um, the Student Disability Resource Center, um, mm-hmm. because I think I think when we hear the word disability, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there might be two, maybe three, like key images of what we think mm-hmm. that word means and who can utilize this resource center. So I kind of mm-hmm. want to break down some of those walls or some of those barriers okay. that might keep students, you know, in particular, our, you know, black and African-American black students who sure. really suffer from, you know, the stigma of disability in our community mm-hmm. can be, you know, really, really, um, really, really uh, preventing us from, you know, accessing resources for one reason sure. or another. So sure. help me kind of break down some of those walls around the word disability mm-hmm. and what exactly the resource center does to help our students. Okay. okay. One of our goals, one of our, our, our mission here is in, like I've been at UCR for a little over a year and a half right now, now. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I have learned is that, even though we have a small office, we serve probably, you know, 1500 students mm. uh, a quarter. Um, and national averages, yeah, national mm. averages say you're probably 10, anywhere from 10 to 15 percent of your population um, has a disability, mm-hmm. whether it's hidden or visible. OK. Um, and students have to self-report, self, mm. self-report or self-dust that lies closed. It's, it's upon the student to come into the office to ask for the resource. OK. Um, and one of the things that that students may not know is like we uh, kind of. Touch, touched on this earlier. Let's say you um, you're riding your skateboard and you go down and you break your arm, break your break your arm for some reason, twist your arm, um, can't carry your textbooks. We can serve you. Mm. Okay, that's a temporary disability. Maybe you need you no know, mobility transportation service. We can authorize um, a form for that. Taps can help transport you to your classroom. Mm. Uh, maybe you can get your books in an e-text format so that you don't have to carry around, you know, 10 books or piles of books with a broken arm okay. or if you're on crutches or anything like that. You know, mm. those things those things can be dealt with. Um, students with more traditional 
um, permanent or even, you know, not so semi-permanent, we call what I would call a semi-permanent um, um, disabilities, um, we authorize accommodations. Mm-hmm. Now, what that means, and certainly in higher education is we provide, we provide accommodations to ensure access. Um, right. As opposed to K through 12, where some students with disabilities may have been, um, things are written or accommodations are given to provide success. That's a huge, there's a difference between that. Okay, you're given a, a, you will do this, you will do A, B, and C, and you will be successful. Okay, gotcha. here is, I'm going to, you say you have a visual impairment, we're going to make sure that you have, you know, if you're using a screen reader or you're using text to audio, it's giving you access to those materials so that you, as a student, can be successful. Mm. Okay. Um, so, so just to kind of like break that down a little bit, mm-hmm. um, in no way, shape, or form is the Student Disability Resource Center um, a, a, a mechanism to quote unquote do the work for the student. Uh, the idea mm-hmm. behind it is to. Find out exactly the best way that this student can receive information. Make sure they receive that information so they then can handle their work and be responsible for it. And so that way the disability is no longer a barrier to their to their success. Exactly. What we call when we when evaluations are done by our disability specialists, Mm -hmm. we find out what is your functional, what does your disability what functional limitation does that was does your disability cause? Okay. Okay. You can have a visual impairment um, that doesn't prevent you from getting out of bed to go to class. Right. Okay. Absolutely. Um, so it's it's it your your degree, your certificate, or whatever you no know, accommodations or whatever achievements you've made is no less valuable than someone else's who doesn't have a disability. Mm. Okay. We don't we don't. Um, uh, change the, the rigor of the course right um there's there's nothing like that it's just it's just it's just access to information using okay. technology or other means right and so do you have like obviously you you had you know multiple jobs in college where you worked with mm-hmm. uh students with disability do you have any personal experience with disabilities maybe family mm-hmm. members or you yourself yeah. personally that influences your work Okay. Sure. Um, growing up, so I was just thinking about this again. Uh, growing up, my cousin, um, when he was born, he had a, um, a disability to his his left his um, um, a deformed um, left hand, mm-hmm. and so he really didn't have much control of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but growing up, I say growing up as kids, I don't I don't know. It, it just was just. Let's say, for example, we rode dirt bikes, motorcycles. Again, we we're in the country, so we rode mm-hmm. dirt bikes, and motorcycles, um, mm-hmm. or. The little playground games we made, or the games we made up as kids, um, yeah. shooting pool. I remember, I, would, I, I still remember us being, um, my cousin had a pool, and instead of, you know, shooting the cue, with, you know, like this, you know, he'd just take the cue and just rake it. You know, mm. It was still a good shot. He just used the cue to wreck it, and he was so. One thing he had to do he had to be really good at aiming in geometry, right? To make right. sure he won the game, you know, right? Um, riding on a motorcycle, pulling the clutch. I was always I was on the back of the motorcycle. He was in the front, and I would just I would pull the clutch in for him to shift the gears. You know, it's yeah. just something we just we just we just figured it out. You, you just know? figured we didn't it out. See it as a disability. We just figured it out. You know, how do we mm-hmm. have fun? You know, we got a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. How do we have fun? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I we I never. And, and it never really, I never even dawned on me until I actually started working with students with disabilities and being around the environment with students with disabilities mm-hmm. as to how people were being limited 
in their mm. potential mm. Um, just by what someone else may think about them. Mm. And then I thought about myself. I'm in this. I'm kind of in the same situation. You know, someone sees me and immediately biases are formed in the mind. Yeah. Right? Same thing as yeah. someone with a disability. Immediately mm. biases are formed in the mind. This person is visually impaired. Mm-hmm. How can they be a doctor? How can they be a surgeon? Mm. Um, and I think myself, that's one of the. Well, I just really sorry. quick. I just think I think that story, you know, about your cousin is very special because it, it does a great job at kind of just pulling together that I, I think that philosophy mm-hmm. that you have about the access, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right? None of you ever stopped your cousin from participating in the way that he needed mm-hmm. to participate to try to be successful. Um, mm-hmm. And psychologically, I could imagine that, um, that does a lot for a sense of self-esteem and confidence mm-hmm. in being able to work through whatever disability that you may have because the way that it's nurtured in the way mm-hmm. that it's supported as yeah. opposed to always being in a position where you guys are like, no, 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 cousin mm-hmm. Jimmy, we're going to do this for you because mm-hmm. you can't do it. And then now right. cousin Jimmy is developing mm-hmm. a, a learned sense of helplessness when it is very much something that can be worked through as long as he has access right 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 like we played football we played baseball against our we had rivals every once a week we played a football mm-hmm. in the field in the back right loved it when it rained right um and you know we like i say we just figured it out you know yeah no that's that's beautiful so i i, I want to also kind of talk about the concept of you know utilizing the student disability resource center um mm-hmm. as a black student right. oh. sure sure go ahead um, did you have a comment i i I think that, um, like I said, we talked about, you mentioned this before about the stigmatism of um, being a student with a disability or maybe a portion of a hindrance. Just, just our, our skin color alone is already mm. a hindrance, you know, yes. and, and in, most, in a lot of ways, you know, you walk, yeah. like I said, you walk into a place and it's just like being watching a TV show and everything just stops because of mm-hmm. just your color of the skin, mm-hmm. you know, and having to disclose that possibly I may have a disability is just another hurdle that, you know, I've got, I've already been jumping off through these hurdles. Now it's another hurdle I got to get over. I'm just going to try to figure it out myself because sometimes, a lot of times, that's Mm. what we do. We Mm -hmm. figure it out. We figure it out. Just like I mentioned before, we figure out a way to make it happen, you Mm -hmm. know? Um, Mm -hmm. But when there's resources that are available for you, um, and like I mentioned before, your degree is no less valuable than anyone else's degree because you're asking Mm -hmm. for a resource. We don't exactly guarantee success. We guarantee access. And that's for Mm -hmm. any student. Mm -hmm. Um, And speaking on that, um, as an access specialist, most of the things that I do when it comes to instructors, materials, um, providing, you know, best practices, most of the time, it's not just benefiting the student with a disability. It's also benefiting all the students. Mm. It's called universal design. I can give this phone to anybody and tell them to turn it on for me. And they probably know, though, well, it's going to be one of these buttons on here going to turn it on. That's universal design. Yeah. Right. A screen. There's no keyboard on here. Everyone's mm. got universal design. is everyone knows somehow you got to swipe the screen or press on the screen to figure something out. Right. Mm. So when we talk about universal design and universal access, that's what we mean. Yeah. And I think that's a very key word, right, in mm-hmm. in the philosophy behind it, especially in the word universal, right? Mm-hmm. Universal. 
Um, and I think it's important to frame it that way because when you look at the Student Disability Resource Center, and if it has this philosophy of creating access through universal or intuitive technology, um, yeah, that that benefits right. everyone, right? right. I right. maybe I don't have I, I I am not formally diagnosed with any form of disability, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I know for me, I am a very distracted reader. So mm-hmm. me looking at the pages and reading pages, mm-hmm. my imagination just starts going nuts, and it's hard for right. me to right. focus. But listening, audiobooks, podcasts, mm-hmm, things like mm-hmm. that, listening, and my level of engagement goes up. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a principle of universal design, right? So me, someone right, who exactly. doesn't have a disability, you know, if I need to sit down and read a book, I can do that, right? Mm-hmm. But the universal design that was created for probably uh, with centered around folks with disability who mm-hmm. really can't read in the traditional sense right Mm -hmm. now i can enjoy the luxury of well at least for me it's a luxury right the luxury of audiobooks and stuff but it's that concept of universal so while Mm -hmm. it might have been inspired from you know a marginalized group or population Mm -hmm. if we approach it with the right philosophy it's going to improve the quality of life for everyone even people who might fall on a you know, a disability spectrum that's, you know, Mm -hmm. very much less than another individual that kind of inspired that tech. And and what what I want to um, have students to just like they access the tutoring services or may or may not access the tutoring services, they go to the financial aid, Mm -hmm. they go to the counseling department, they go to, they park their car and they go to uh, TAPS for parking. I want Mm -hmm. you to see that office as another resource just like that. And, and that's the goal because you know even if you don't think you have a disability or, mm-hmm. or, or just just come see it's like any other you go visit to see what's available there mm-hmm. right there may mm-hmm. be something that you didn't know mm-hmm. uh, this um, being able to serve a student that's broken their leg temporarily or broken an arm sure. or has something like we didn't do that at the other college that I had that, that wasn't a service that the disability services offered not that I sure. know of and I worked there for seventeen right. years but I'm I would imagine not many people know that if they well I've got to take off a quarter of school because I can't get around campus well that's not true right you know and and so yeah. it's it's really I think it's really important for people to know what services are available. Um, in the different, not only in our office, but in different offices. Um, and as far as the stigmatisms are concerned, you know, just think about how much you can achieve if you've got that extra, you know, support behind you. Mm. Um, it may not take it. Maybe may, instead of being there for five years, you're there for four years. You know? Right. No, and that and that makes a big difference. So, and I kind of just you know want to touch on that a little bit because again. Mm-hmm. When it comes to black students, you know, Mm -hmm. I do think there is somewhat of a culture of Mm -hmm. not wanting to pursue resources. Mm -hmm. And again, it can be counseling and psychological services. It can be the disability services. It can be financial wellness services. Mm -hmm. There's a longstanding history in in literature around black Mm -hmm. folks underutilizing you know, mm-hmm. certain key services for one reason or another. Right. Um, and so for me, it's just very important to express to black students in particular, mm-hmm. like 
there is no shame in receiving mm-hmm. services. That's what the, that's what it's here for. And, here for. and if you don't right. at least pursue the resources and the services, mm-hmm. you are just wasting out on so much value that you're paying mm-hmm. for in your tuition right. and fees. And so, right. um, wh- how, how can we meet black students where they're at and kind mm-hmm. of break down some of that hesitation that they mm-hmm. might feel? What are your thoughts on that? Um, one thing I would like to see is that you know. Obviously, for some of our students, or I said before, like 10 percent of the population, more, you can give it an average around 10 percent of your population has a has a disability, some kind of way or, or need some kind of need. Sure. Maybe it's food insecurities, you know, financial insecurities, whatever it may be, a home, just having a place to sleep, yeah. lay down yeah. and rest. Um, if it's maybe maybe we need maybe we need to step back a little bit, you know, um, if we can have a meet and greet out on the front lawn. Mm. Come tell me what what struggles are you having? Right, what successes are you having right now? What struggles are you having right now? How can we help you? Or this is some some help that we can help you to overcome some of those struggles. Mm. Um, I think when I when I read, um, I you know I kind of doze off sometimes, or you know, um, just reading stuff doesn't get to me. I need to hear it auditorially. Yes. Um, Let's talk about that. You know, mm. we don't have to go into that office. You don't have to go. To, you don't have to go to that. If it's if, if that's the barrier, if the office is the barrier, mm. then maybe we need to step back a little bit so mm. we can break that barrier. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm willing to do that. I'm mm. you know, if I have to come in on the weekend and do it, I'm willing to do that. Yeah. And, you know, and again, that's that's the whole point of, you know, our podcast. That's the whole point right. of blue, gold and black. And it's mm-hmm. really to let students know, like, yo, one, you know, mm-hmm. Will Pines, he's a real human being, mm-hmm. you know, two, he's he, he's a brother. You know, you can mm-hmm. you can relate. You can identify with that. Um, and three, he's dedicated to making you be successful and he wants to meet you where you're at. You know, and I always mm-hmm. encourage students right between the older and the younger generation. It, it has to be a mutual effort on both ends. Right. right? You ha- right. On, on on your end, you have to make sure that your hand is extended backwards and you're, and you're reaching, you know, and then on the younger generations and it's making sure like whatever is preventing you from reaching for that hand, overcoming Mm -hmm. those obstacles mentally um, to make sure that you can make that connection. Because even if it's not something that you could directly assist the students with, as it pertains Mm -hmm. to the disability resource center, you come with a whole wealth of knowledge and connections around the campus to make sure you can put that student in the right place. And so that's what I really just want to emphasize yeah. to students is to make sure that um, you feel empowered and encouraged to to reach out to our guests, because it's a whole wealth of knowledge and resources mm-hmm. that, you know, one email can give you access to. And sometimes that's mm-hmm. all you need. So I just want to um, we're coming up on, you know, the end of our interview. And, you know, this has been a great talk and we can definitely spend, you know, future episodes really kind of unpacking this conversation around disabilities. But I just kind of want to ask you this. Um, and it's just kind of like, you, you know, your about your sense of black optimism. So, you know, what can what can you say to future generations of black scholars coming through UCR. What are you, what is one of your most optimistic visions of the future um, for the next generation of black scholars that come through UCR? Um, Given the um, events that have happened in the last six months, Mm -hmm. a year, Mm -hmm. um, I see optimism in people coming together, 
mm. you know, for calls. Mm-hmm. I still see that students are leading the way. Mm. And, and I'm not one to um, uh, be drawn into the, you know, regular, the, the, what we call cable news, media news. Mm-hmm. Um, if I want information, I'm going to go to the source. Mm. Right. Um, and so I, I think that, I think it's been my experience that, that students are usually, it's usually that, that, that group of, group of people, um, are really changing things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we can do more. Yeah. Like I said, we talked about before that, that 10% is probably those, those, as far as the number of students on your campus with a disability or some kind of need. Yeah. They're deficient in something, some kind of insecurity that they're mm-hmm. in. Um, and I know as far as our black scholars, I don't see that many students in our in, in my office. Yeah. And and again, it doesn't have to be about a disability. Um, if we need to meet outside the office to do to talk about something, yeah. then we we need to do that. Yeah. And so that that's one of my my I don't know if I have in today's world right now. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's more um, worry about students not seeking what they need. Yeah. Um, right now, that, that that's my biggest worry. Um, yeah. Students not seeking what they need. Yeah. For whatever reason, and not right. have and not and feeling or having the perception that they don't have someone or some place they can go to to mm-hmm. get that need. Um, to get that need. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And you know, kind of you know, what you just said in my mind, it, it's just all about. Um, you know, crashing those barriers, right? Um, mm-hmm. Students for, like we said, students for whatever reason aren't getting mm-hmm. the resources that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, and they simply could just not be aware, right? Or it comes right. with stigmatism mm-hmm. of, you know, I don't want to have to put another chip on my chip shoulder. On my I don't want to have to have another quality in this society mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. paints me a certain type of way. And we, you know, yeah. I think people like you are are doing a great job at crashing down mm-hmm. those barriers and making sure that you're presenting yourself mm-hmm. as someone who's open, someone that students can get a genuine um, response from. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that goes a long way. And I agree with you a thousand percent that students are really always on the forefront of mm-hmm. the revolution of the change that mm-hmm. we see taking place across um, our campus and, you know, as staff, I just, you know, I always want us to be in a position where we can further empower them. And, you know, that's why we're here today having a conversation. So Definitely. students, if nothing else, yeah. shoot Mr. Pines an email. Yeah, just reach out at and the say least. hi. <laughs> just say, what's <laughs> yeah. up? How you doing? You know, he, yeah. he's down to talk. But, but yeah. on a serious tip, you know, access to resources, access, Mm -hmm. access, access. That's what we're talking about um, Mm -hmm. as we push towards, you know, a more equitable future, making sure that Mm -hmm. everyone has access. So, um, Will, thank you so Mm -hmm. much for joining us on Blue, Gold, and Black. I can't wait to have you um, back on in the future so we can keep pushing this conversation forward. Um, Thank you so much for taking out the time out of your day to be with us. Thank you, brother. See you. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. I'll catch you guys later. Thank you.
Thank you for joining us on Blue, Gold, and Black. This program is produced by the Community Engagement and Outreach Unit of Undergraduate Admissions at the University of California, Riverside. Learn more about attending UCR by visiting admissions.ucr.edu. And be sure to check out the description for other useful links and resources. Help support this podcast by liking, subscribing, and sharing. And be sure to check out our podcast videos on YouTube. Catch you guys later. Yeah.